what, you know, I just did a, a TEDx talk and, and my message in the TEDx talk is really that I think we think about digital nomadism as being all about travel, but like for me, it's really about freedom and it's about the freedom to pursue your curiosity. And I just think that like, as a society, as a culture, we need to recreate the space in our lives to be able to pursue our curiosity, to like discover the things that, that light us up and then, and then pursue them. Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Adam Finan, and today's guest is Sam Kern from radicallydifferentpodcast.com. Sam, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Adam. So, Sam, you run a podcast, uh, Radically Different Podcast, which, you know, you're really an advocate for remote work, digital nomad and online business. And I guess all the things that we um, promote here and speak about and the sort of stuff that I like to interview guests on. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and um, you know how you got into the online game? Yeah, totally. So I, I graduated from college like two years ago. And at that time, I had no interest in kind of plugging into the nine to five um, career path. And uh, so I ended up going on a trip to Vietnam with a friend. Um, we spent three weeks there backpacking around. I started to meet, you know, digital nomads. And after three weeks, he went back to the U.S. to start his, you know, real job. And <laughs> I decided to stay. And, um, you know, basically, I, I uh, had studied software engineering in college. And so I figured, you know, I'd be able to find a, a remote gig. So I like went on Upwork. Um, within two weeks, I, I found my first client. And I started working like 15 hours a week basically with like a weekly check-in. So it was just like this unreal level of freedom uh, that I was experiencing for the first time. And Probably not what you're being <laughs> uh, led, led to expect when you're in college, you know what I mean? From a software engineering point of view, I guess we're probably painting a picture of maybe, you know, 45, 50 hours a week in some office in uh, Mon Montana. Totally. And, you know, it was like, you know, for my whole life, I had been sort of like this straight A student, really checking the boxes um, and sort of thrived in that system. But this was the first time in my life where I was free to really like wander and explore and follow my curiosity without a deadline, you know, and and really had the location flexibility and the financial flexibility to do it. I guess you also had a, a skill set. I mean, that's a huge part of it too, isn't it? You know, you had a software engineering um, degree, which, you, you know, and then you had, the, I guess, the cleverness to think, look, I'll, I'll look online. You obviously met, met, perhaps you met people who were doing that. And you, is that what happened? Like, did you meet people and you seen that they were doing it while you were just on your fun traveling adventure? Or did you set off on the adventure with the intention of, uh, you know, making your living online? Totally. So I, I really do. I mean, part of like the, the ethos of my podcast for like different is this idea that like exposure to people who are doing things differently is always the first step kind of expanding your awareness of, of the possibilities and then, and then actually doing it. Cause then you see that it's possible. Right. So, so for me, that's what the podcast is about, but yeah, exactly. That's what happened. I, I went off to Southeast Asia. I was in Vietnam, kind of had my mind blown in Vietnam just to see like how many people were, you know, foreigners were there who were, you know, either teaching English and, you know, Vietnam's crazy because Right now, I think um, English teachers are one of the highest paid professions per hour in the country, which is pretty nuts. Um, and so I was seeing that. And then um, after I was done in Vietnam, I was kind of like, you know, I was asking people, where should I go if I want to really 
you know, have co-working spaces and feel really comfortable. And, you know, I was kind of missing like the sort of artistic scene that, that I feel like Vietnam, at least what I was seeing kind of lacks. And people said, go to Chiang Mai. And I actually had, hadn't even heard of Chiang Mai at that point. Um, but I listened to them and I went to Chiang Mai and, you know, <laughs> like sure enough, I, I showed up and there was just, you know, this a digital nomad Mecca. And so I was staying in a co-living um, space and I was just meeting people and they were kind of, you know, like showing me how to, how to do it. And um, I, you know, so I got some advice from some people about how to kind of pitch myself and how to create a proposal. And, you know, I'd also had a lot of experience with startups in college. And so the first client I found was someone who was wanting to build a mobile app for his startup. And I was also able to sort of pitch myself in the shoes of like, like I know, like I've been where you've been before. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for a reliable developer, someone who understands your vision, right? Not just caring about just building the product, but also can help you think about um, uh, like the strategy of launching this thing. And so I think he really appreciated that, and that helped me stand out from the crowd. So yeah, that's something that I definitely, especially when you're hiring someone online, like remotely. There's so much trust involved. And if you can really show the person, hey, I, I understand what you're trying to do here. I really get like how I can help you and how I can provide value. Um, I think that was the thing that that really clinched it. And so that's how I was able to find a gig so quickly. Especially as a new, um, you know, as, as a new freelancer on one of those marketplaces, because I mean, it can be difficult when you're just starting out in those oh, marketplaces, yeah. you know, because people ultimately filter i'm guilty of this i do it all the time i filter by hours worked rating you know like people go in there with a straight intention to filter so when you're brand yep. new you know you have to have you just have to put in that extra bit of effort i think you know because when your profile is built you have that kind of social proof that you're good for the job and you can be trusted but when you're brand new to a freelancer platform like you're saying going that extra mile tailoring the proposal to how you can solve that person's problem can really be the difference and get you those jobs you know totally and yeah and i'm like i didn't have a lot of experience i had worked one summer i had like a few internships i had worked on a mobile app for a while but like more in a ceo role so not building everything yeah, I didn't have really any experience uh, freelancing. So I, I just like looked for projects where I was, it was a clear, like, okay, I can totally like, I, I know what you're trying to do here. And I, I pit, I did like a very, very tailored proposal. Um, so th that and was it, kind of my, yeah. That was your angle. And then like you're saying, mm -hmm. you know, you weren't looking to work 60 hours a week. You're, you're living in Vietnam, cost of living is fairly cheap or in Chiang Mai at that point. Sorry. And yep. You know, Chiang Mai is cheap. Anyway, like go on Airbnb, you'll find a, a lovely room for 400 quid a month. Like it's yeah. Chiang Mai is super cheap. Like, you know, I think it was 450 I used to pay when I lived there. And yeah, and, and so the cost of living is cheap and a software developer can or a software engineer can command a higher fee. You know, you're not on like the, the bottom of the barrel rate. So exactly um, as, as a qualified software engineer, you, you have the ability to charge a higher rate and, you know, have Western clients. Like you're saying, your clients could be in the USA, in Australia, where people are being paid $60, $80, $50, you know, for um, per hour and um, for those sorts of jobs. So that puts you in a, a good position to work, like you say, part time and then work on your own stuff on the side or just enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the other thing, Adam is like, because I was in Chiang Mai and you're surrounded by people who actually do this. Like I met a lot of people who were in Chiang Mai for multiple months just to learn something new. Like two people, two of my friends were there just to learn machine learning. Like that's what they were doing, you know, because your runway just goes so much, it's so much longer. And that's the I other thing I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing I did too, is, you know, I priced initially, I priced, I think my rate was $30 an hour which for a software engineer is, especially freelancing, is, is not that much compared to how much you could ask for in the US. 
So I priced low and I really like targeted in on my when I, on my proposals, like very specific to their needs. Yeah. And then, I mean, Upwork then take their 20% off you too. So you're actually only yeah. getting $24. Upwork like to rob you. Um, yeah. Not yeah. a not a fan of that myself personally, yeah. but twenty percent's a bit much. But um, look, at the end of the day, they created a they found a niche in the market, and uh, you know they solve a, a big problem for people. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the Fiverr at the minute, to be honest with you, because like Fiverr is just a bit different gig economy versus the hourly thing. So, I guess it depends on what you're looking for. You know, Upwork obviously for the sort of work you're talking about with, um, you know, software engineering these longer term projects, but you know, shorter, very specific things, um you know, Fiverr, I have found anyway is mm. the way to go um, yeah. for things. So, so yeah, so you were in um, Chiang Mai. So like, how long did you stick around for? You know, why did you leave? Yeah. So I was in Chiang Mai for about four months. You know, really for me, this was this sort of like a bit of an awakening, right? Because suddenly I had this 15 hour a week part-time remote job and the level of experience of, of like freedom that I was experiencing was, was unprecedented. And so I like, you know, I was renting a motorcycle. I was like cruising around Northern Thailand. I went to like a, like a forest monastery and did like a Vipassana meditation. You know, I went actually to uh, Koh Tao to do my diver certification. And, and I worked like eight hours on the ship using a Wi-Fi hotspot on the way there. Right. So it was just this um, really just a realization of like, wow, this is, this is incredible. And, and the other thing I did is I started a, a, this podcast, Radically Different. And I started it kind of... Um, you know, just as I just as I got to Southeast Asia, and the the intention was to basically, you know, use it as a way of of kind of following my curiosity and interviewing people who are living in a radically different way, and um, you know, because I wanted to have conversations with people and and see how they were doing it, and so I you know I recorded a whole season of interviews there, in 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 Chiang Mai and in other parts of Southeast Asia, and then I eventually left um, Chiang Mai to come back uh, to the U.S. for Christmas to be with my family. Um, and then at that time, I, I decided actually to shift gears and go to uh, Medellin, Colombia, because I'd heard great things about that. So I went there. I spent another four months living in Medellin. Um, awesome experience. You know, I was like learning salsa, speaking Spanish, and I was, um, you know, producing, like kind of editing this podcast and um, finally, finally released that season. Because um, the, the, the podcast, Radically Different, it's at least the first season was really this sort of um, mixture of long form interviews like we're doing now, but also what's called like narrative narrative journalism, which is, you know, kind of like the NPR style podcast where it's, you know, interviews sort of interlaced with narrative, like narration. Um, so it took a lot of time to kind of get good at that and figure that out. But um, yeah, at least that like last year. It's, yeah, look, even, um, I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware of, uh, there's a podcast called The Blind Boy Podcast, which is, he is the number one podcast in Ireland forever. Like, he's just, he's so good. Um, but the style of podcasting that he does, it's just him. And everything that he does, from the ambience to the storytelling to his hot takes, it's just, it's it's so well done and it's so unique and uniquely him um, that, yeah, I guess if you can create podcast content that is like that narrative that you know that's a creative expression it can be really good interview podcasts are a different kettle of fish this is me and you sharing a story sharing tips um but those solo podcast episodes or those narrative ones and uh, definitely take a lot more work and and are um you need to consider a lot of factors and do plenty of research before you you would record and release them totally adam it's like <laughs> but what i found is that it's an enormous amount of work and so i'm actually starting to what I found too, so I found a few things. One is that it is an enormous amount of work. Like I actually spent, this is insane, but I spent the first episode I ever did, which I wasn't able to publish 
for legal reasons. I spent like 70 hours editing. I was tracking this, um, right? Which is insane. And, and that was like this really bizarre, crazy experience, like uh, spending like a week on uh, on an island off the coast of Thailand with like people who were creating this eco-village. And it was this really interesting experience. And I recorded like five, six interviews and was splicing it all together. And so it was a complicated story to tell. But <clears throat> I found that like those those stories, while incredibly immersive and amazing, they're just really hard to produce. Um, and I've also found that sometimes people got the same amount of value out of the ones that were highly produced as the ones that were just, you know, two people sitting down having a conversation. So I, I, yeah, right. So like, I was like, okay, something to learn here. And, um, moving forward, I'm going to do kind of a combination of that, but it'll be more long form interviews. And I think the key is just making sure that you're talking with people who really have something, you know, valuable to say that really resonates with the audience. That's it. And that the audience, um, you know, like you're saying that they can learn something from or, or maybe that they're doing something, uh, the guest is doing something that the audience would like to do. Um, definitely a fan for the shorter ones too. I mean, uh, you've probably noticed this, a lot of podcasts now have, have kind of, they might have these long form guest episodes, but they're doing short, anywhere from three to 10 minute shorter episodes, you know? Um, so it's actually something I'm looking at doing and I've been planning out. Uh, it's kind of that, it's like, launching the podcast initially is kind of like oh that first solo one you know it's it's right. a bit it's a weird thing to do but then once you do it you're like jesus why haven't i been doing this for the last two years <laughs> right, right. So, so so yeah you, you headed down to columbia so during this time so i guess you know did you maintain your way of getting clients and the way of running your business through upwork you know did people did you have the same client did you have to keep pitching what did that look like throughout the process so I actually got kind of lucky. Um, so I had, I landed that first client and I worked with him for uh, maybe four or five months. But when I came back to the U.S., I actually got approached by um, a friend of mine who who um, runs a startup in Montana, actually. And he said, hey, are you interested in working? And I was like, yes, but only if it's part-time remote. Because I had experienced what it was like to have that level of flexibility, freedom. And I already had this gig. Like I already knew I could freelance now. And um, so it was unconventional for them to allow that, but they, they knew me, right. They trusted me. And, you know, I think like talented, reliable software engineers are hard to come by. And so they were like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, and uh, so that ended up being my gig. So I transitioned out of freelancing um, and then started working. You know, I, now I work like 20 hours a week um, with, with them. Um, and, what I would say too is that like for me, freelancing was it was so important to go through that process. And I tell people this that that are interested in getting into, you know, who are starting their careers or just interested in, in working online. Like I think the freelancing was so important because it made me realize that I had the capability of making money without having to get hired by a company. And I think that gives you a lot of creative confidence and confidence in yourself because you you don't feel like you need to kind of like jump from company to company. And you know that worst case, like I, now I know how to find work for myself. Um, so it was very empowering. And it gave me the confidence then to sort of demand those terms from, from the, new, the new company. Yeah, because you, you'd, you'd lived that path and you realized that that was possible. You weren't going to backtrack um, if possible. You know, they may have said no, but ultimately you'd experienced that freedom, you know, like you're saying, part-time remote. And then you had that and you're like, well, I, I kind of like this. <laughs> so right, no, I don't right. really want to have to drive and go and sit in an office, man. Like, so can we work it out this way? And I mean, like, 
I guess we have to mention the, the old coronavirus and the situation everyone's in. And I mean, a lot of companies who would have never done that. And oh, I mean, I know people whose companies would never let them work from home. Never. No, we can't do our work from home. Well, guess what? They're doing their work just fine from home. You just had a hang up. You're old school, you know, or you didn't trust. They didn't trust their employees to do the work. But, you know, every report that comes out, every single re- bit of research that they do, the, the buffer end of year report on um, uh, online marketing and remote work is, is, is really good. And they speak about, yeah, I mean, people are always more productive, always happier. Uh, you know what I mean? They work less, but they get the same amount of work done, if not more. Like, it's just consistently because they don't have to deal with you know office politics sometimes a toxic office environment traveling to and from work you know internal politics they can just sit down chill out put on their favorite music wear their sweatpants you know put on their comfy hoodie don't need to worry about what you look like you know haven't shaved <laughs> i'll shower later <laughs> like you know whatever just get your bloody work done <laughs> right totally. and and, uh, and crack on and then have you know the, the day to yourself and uh, you know, when you can go out and about and go everywhere and everything is open, it's obviously a lot nicer. Like I say, some people who've had to re- work remote now and they're a little bit like, oh, man, you do this. How how do you do this, man? This this sucks. You're at home all day. I'm like, it's not normally like that. Like normally you go out and you go to a coffee shop and might do an hour or two there and then come back for a while and then go to the gym. And then it's like this isn't what working remote is always like like normally it's actually a lot better than this <laughs> but right now with i mean the lockdown in ireland anyway everything's closed can't really go anywhere can't do anything so you just i don't know i'm just cracking on you know recording loads of podcasts doing loads of affiliate website content um and yeah just you know, doing my, my shopify work and everything's good yeah so i guess what's you know what's next you sound like like it's funny before the podcast we were chatting you know and like um I'm 33 now and you're 23 and I just think it's it's funny because it's like you've got that vigor to hit the road and go traveling like I did when I was 10 years younger. I know 33 is not old, but still that 10 year difference is, is, is a big difference, you know. Um, so, you know, like compa- compared to maybe what it was like then, it's a lot easier now. The world has come around a lot more to, you know, working online. So after the lockdowns are lifted do you think people are going to hit the road um and go back to you know like like you're saying to places like chiang mai and vietnam and bali or do you think there's probably going to be a big maybe a period of time where they just don't do that it's a great question i mean and i think it's something that i'm planning to explore in my podcast in the next several weeks um so personally and what i've what i've heard from people who are like in the travel industry for instance is i think that people are going to continue to travel after this and actually i mean we can get into this but i think that this COVID pandemic, I mean, it's kind of blowing my mind just thinking about what it means moving forward in terms of location independence and digital nomadism, right? Because before the bottleneck was, are you able to work remotely? And now if you're working, you're probably working remotely, right? So it's like, I don't know. I, I think that the, the second and third degree consequences of this are going to be massive. I do think that people are going to continue to travel after this. I think that it might be you know, I'm not sure, but I, I expect that there might be additional sort of um, regulations. It might be harder to move between countries quickly. So I think people are going to probably travel, but likely they'll travel a little bit more slowly. And so, you know, for me, I've, uh, you know, I've, I basically, I'm kind of looking at like, like I spent um, several months uh, working for like an experiential dinner company in San Diego. I was just down in Guatemala um, organizing a, a month-long co-living experience for location independent entrepreneurs and creators um and that had to obviously be put on hold because of this but i really think like 
all of that stuff, like that's going to be the future, you know, because people, we chat? Yeah. <laughs> because the thing is that once people realize like, oh, I can work remotely now and they realize that there's, you know, really incredible places in the world to see and the cost of living in certain countries is, is, is less. I think there's going to be a much more of an appetite for people to, you know, to, to do that, um, to live abroad, to, to travel. Uh, and there's just going to be more of a capability for people to do that too. Yeah, it's um, it's a funny one, man, because I, I, like, I have a lot of friends who are still out and on the road, you know, and there was quite a few of them in Bali when all this kicked off. And I never seen people move as quick to get out of Bali. <laughs> 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 they were like, get me out of here now. They did not want to get. It's funny, though, because, you know, what? like, not funny, but like, you know, when all this happened, they were like, no, 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 I want to be somewhere that has a good health system or I want to be somewhere, you know, like a little island in Indonesia. Yeah, Bali's cool and all, but mm, shit hits the fan. And if the hospitals are packed, probably don't want to be on a little island in Indonesia. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you might want to be, you know, back in your home country or at least somewhere that you like. I mean, a lot of people, the health system in Thailand's fantastic. It's really good. It's better than bloody Ireland. Um, so, you know, somewhere like that. But can we chat a little about you've mentioned a few things about co-living? Right. And this is something, man, like my brother is the same age as you and I'm trying to get him excited about all this. He's mad to go away traveling. You know, I, um, you know, I look at him and I just think fair play, go and do it, man. You know, and this is the sort of stuff we were chatting about was co-living. So when you go away, you know, often the thing that might, might stop people from going away is that they're heading away in their own and maybe they're just a bit worried or they don't really know what to do. Is that why you explored co-living? And yeah. So for me, for me, like I, I've loved the location independent lifestyle, right? Cause I, I love immersing myself in new cultures. I love going on trips. I love, I just, I love the feeling of exploring someplace new, but the problem that I saw almost immediately was how do I continue to be surrounded by people that really help me level up, right? Who are inspiring me, motivating me, um, giving me accountability and, and also just making life and the work more joyful. That was the thing that I always felt was missing because you could definitely connect with, you know, digital nomads online. You could connect through Facebook groups and then meet up with people, you know, when you get to the place. And that was always easy. But having that level of consistency and really being in an environment that is like pushing you and helping you accelerate that, that was just, I, I, I wasn't finding that. And so, um, and I know actually there's a lot of co-living um, projects that exist. But I just decided I wanted to create my own. My own. Um, so that that was the the project in, in Guatemala, and I still think like I mean I believe so strongly that you're the average of the people you spend time with. I think that's like one of the most important things to understand early on in your life, and um, that's really what it's about. And if you can't be around them, listen to them on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You know, no, actually, seriously. <laughs> no, seriously. I, I agree with you. A, a friend of mine has this thing. Um, I'm actually planning to have him on, on Radically Different soon. But he has this concept where it's like you can extend the the idea of you're the average of the five people you spend time with to you're actually the average of like the five minds you spend time with. So in an online context, you could theoretically also just make sure that you're, you know, the ideas that are coming into your head from people are, you know, you're very carefully curated. Absolutely. You know, I'm putting up filters. Like, you know, if you're reading junk news sites all the time and you're watching trashy TV and like, fair enough, do it every now and then if you want to. But if you're doing that every single day and you don't like, you know, it's not going to fill your mind with, with the sort of stuff that makes you feel positive and, and you know, want to progress and, and be better. You know, like you're saying, you know, by either hanging around with people or 
um, associating with people or even just listening to people that you admire or that you would, you know, they're doing things that you would like to do, then that can help you, you know, to be more proactive and be more positive. And I mean, I definitely feel that way. And sometimes like I don't listen to podcasts every day. I kind of binge on them. There's certain ones I binge on every now and then, but I go in and then I just feel rejuvenated, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm ready to do this crack now, you know? So, um, that's, that, that's how I feel about it is, you know, w- would you say the same? Because a lot of people, like, let's say now you're sitting at home, you can't go, you know, there's no conferences, there's no digital nomad meetups, there's no internet marketing meetups, there's no, there's no any meetups, everything's virtual. So um, if, if you can't, or maybe you live in a place where maybe, you know, you're into this and you think this way, but lots of other people don't. And I mean, I've been there, you know, your friends just are into different things, you know, they're into construction, they're into you know, staying in one place, they're not going anywhere. They're not looking at online business. It doesn't interest them in the slightest. So, you know, you need to create that environment in your life where, you know, you're listening um, to the people who, who are living that life. Yeah, no, I, I think it's like insanely important. Um, I mean, it's been interesting with COVID, obviously, because like I actually left Guatemala. I was on the last flight out of the country. It was pretty like similar to your friends fleeing Bali. <laughs> like it was a it was a game time decision and it happened very quickly. Um, yeah, but I've been, Everyone yeah, like, right. Get out. <laughs> but I've been thinking more about, you know, okay, it's like, what is actually the broader vision here? The broader vision is to have a, a, a global network of people that you're tapped into who are all, who all think the same way. And so I, I kind of realized like, oh, actually there's a way to build something similar to a co-living experience in an online context. Um, so that's kind of the direction I'm headed now too, is thinking about, you know, maybe online first and then having offline experiences in person. If you can create a good community, there's a few of them out there, you know, like if you can create a good online community with, you know, your virtual summits and virtual meetups and um, like you're saying, the sort of things that is good with co-living, like your accountability partners and the learning and everything. But it is hard to recreate in a virtual space compared to uh, like, um, you know, a personal context. You're actually in the room with them. Um, And I know when people are traveling, it's funny because, you know, we talk about co-living, like when I was in thailand and going around places like that it was always in hostels and i was trying to work on the computer and everyone else is just drinking and smoking weed. <laughs> right you know what i mean so it was not the right yeah, environment yeah not, not the right environment to get worked on it was a fun environment but like sure, it's not, sure. <laughs> you're trying to be, if you're trying to be productive at work <laughs> yeah. and not you know you have deadlines for projects and uh, it's not exactly ideal um you know because i mean people don't give a toss man they all just do their own thing and you know wake you up at all hours and everything but this is where co-living is different man this is where like i love the i love the idea of it you know and if you're if you want to go traveling you want to you know be in a, a cool environment hang around with good people um but not have that hostile experience um then you know co-living can do that uh, and, and like you're saying there's there are a network of them across the world there's loads of different places um uh, you know, I interviewed, I think, co-work in Bansko recently, which is in yep. Bulgaria. And, I listened to that episode, actually. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> in uh, Las Palmas and Gran Canaria. Um, that was another really good one, too. Like, that's somewhere, I mean, my eyes fairly, I, I like to look at that one, you know, Las Palmas and Gran Canaria. But yeah, they're, they're springing up everywhere and for a good reason, you know, because they provide a solution to something especially for the solo traveler you know who, who doesn't you know you're maybe you're heading away on your own and you just you're a little bit uncertain about it it helps you to put you in an environment a good environment a positive encouraging environment um, with other entrepreneurs a theme that i've kind of realized with with something like digital nomadism and location independence is and remote work is it, you have to be extremely intentional about the people you spend time with where you are and how you're spending your time right and, and I think like co-living is sort of like the extreme example of that. It's like, choose your community, 
right? Um, it's like choose the country you want to be in, choose how you allocate your work hours. If you're like, if you're not in an office, you have to be setting your own hours and, you know, have some discipline around that. Um, and, you know, same thing with the like, co-living, right? Is like, who are the people you want to be surrounded by? Like before we sort of grew up in a place, we, we you know, joined a, a company and we're sort of in that environment. And now it's kind of, you know, you just have to take a little bit more, um, you have to be more proactive about, about your environment. For sure, man. I mean, I believe that too. And it's personal. It's an element of personal responsibility there too. You know, if you want to do this thing and all the people who are around you either aren't into it or aren't encouraging about it, then, you know, screw them. You don't need to listen to them. <laughs> you, right, know? Right. You, you make your own path, man. You know, so if you're listening to this and, and, you know, maybe you're not in an environment that is encouraging for you working online and you going traveling, you know, that, that doesn't mean that you can't do it. You know, you just need to associate yourself um, with communities um online and in person who can help you achieve that dream but also you need skills or services that you know you can sell like you're a software engineer i've been a marketer now for eight years you know doing seo all sorts of stuff you need that skill so whatever it is you got to hone it and uh, figure a way to either sell it um or you know you have a prod uh, a product like uh, the last episode there with uh, or i think it was two episodes ago before this with uh, click love grow where she sells uh, courses online which is a fabulous business model if you can make that work for yourself mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah just coming towards the um, end of the episode sam so you know what would you know how, how would you end this now you know it's a funny time for digital nomads um and, and for everybody i guess travel's halted but the online world has never thrived as much as it is right now so you know, what, you know, how would you end this podcast? Well, I think I kind of go back to like what, you know, I just did a, a TEDx talk and, and my message in the TEDx talk is really that I think we think about digital nomadism as being all about travel, but like, for me, it's really about freedom and it's about the freedom to pursue your curiosity. And I just think that like, as a society, as a culture, we need to recreate the space in our lives to be able to pursue our curiosity, to like discover the things that that light us up and then and then pursue them right so for me like i discovered podcasting because i you know had like the the free time and the and the um and the location independence to be traveling and creating a podcast um and that's kind of i've just been sort of doing that over the past year i I took a pause on the podcast because i was pursuing my curiosity in different ways um the co-living project, right? That was an enormous amount of work that I was getting ready to do. Once again, doing it because I had the time and, and, and the resources to make it happen. So what I would say is like, I think this time right now with the COVID pandemic is a fabulous time to be to be thinking about, am I really doing the thing right now that lights me up? Um, does, is what I'm, is this path that I've chosen really one that I've chosen? Um, and if it's not, then I think this is an awesome time to really embrace remote work um, as, a, as a means of maybe discovering that. And um, so that would be my message is, is really encouraging people to to recreate that space so that they can they can, uh, yeah, pursue the things that, that light them up. Because I, I think it, I, mean, I think it makes for a better life and it, and it makes for a better world in a way, because like I want you know, I, I finished my TED talk with this, but it's like I want to live in a world where everyone's free to to do the things that is sort of like their their highest purpose because then everyone is feeling fulfilled and um, more empathetic and creating more value. And it's just a better, just a better place to be. You put it beautifully, the freedom to pursue your curiosity. I love that, especially in the online world and with this online context, you, you might get really into something like you're saying podcasting or SEO or writing and you pursue that thing 
and you, you love the pursuit of it. The work doesn't feel like work because you actually just enjoy doing it. And, you know, like you're saying as well, like what is success for you? Because it's different for everybody. It's different if you're young and single and you want to hit that road, that's your game. If you're older and you want to be more settled, you have a family, you know, you know, like everybody's different and your priorities might be different. Or maybe you're looking after your family. Or you just want to be close to your family. Some people are like that. So it's about what's success for you. But having, like you're saying, that freedom to pursue your curiosities, the things that light you up and the things you enjoy doing. Like you don't feel like, oh, man, I hate this. Like there's always going to be a little element of that. Because <laughs> no matter what sure. you're doing, it's work. You know, <laughs> uh, not every minute of it is rosy, but ultimately you enjoy those little challenges because you actually like the work that you're doing. Um, but, you know, I, I think you ended it perfectly there. Uh, thank you, Sam. Thank you for joining us. And, and thank you to the listeners as well for tuning in. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in touch, Sam? Yeah, so the podcast is called Radically Different. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to podcast normally and then um the website is radically different podcast.com and you can find me on instagram and facebook at radically different podcast and feel free to reach out um, send a message i i respond often with a lot of voice notes so just prepare for that <laughs> come on just, i do the same myself it's quicker than typing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i'm kind of an audio okay. guy <laughs> yeah, for, for sure in case we haven't guessed um thank you okay take care sam wish you all the best thanks a lot adam Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.